This is section 38 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, A Tale of Today, by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter 38. Now this surprising news caused her fall in a trance. Life as she were dead, no limbs she could advance. Then her dear brother came, her from the ground he took, and she spake up, and said, Oh, my poor heart is broke. The Barncastle Tragedy Don't you think he is distinguished-looking? What, that gawky-looking person with Miss Hawkins? There, he's just speaking to Mrs. Schoonmaker. Such high-bred negligence and unconsciousness. Nothing studied. See his fine eyes. Very. They are moving this way now. Maybe he is coming here. But he looks as helpless as a rag-baby. Who is he, Blanche? Who is he? And you've been here a week, Grace, and don't know? He's the catch of the season. That's Washington Hawkins, her brother. No, is it? Very old family. Old Kentucky family, I believe. He's got enormous landed property in Tennessee, I think. The family lost everything—slaves and that sort of thing, you know, in the war. But they have a great deal of land—minerals, mines, and all that. Mr. Hawkins and his sister, too, are very much interested in the amelioration of the condition of the colored race. They have some plans, with Senator Dilworthy, to convert a large part of their property to something another for the freedmen. You don't say so. I thought he was some guy from Pennsylvania. But he is different from others. Probably he has lived all his life on his plantation. It was a day reception of Mrs. Representative Schoonmaker a sweet woman, of simple and sincere manners. Her house was one of the most popular in Washington. There was less ostentation than there, in some others, and people liked to go where the atmosphere reminded them of the peace and purity of home. Mrs. Schoonmaker was as natural and unaffected in Washington society as she was in her own New York house, and kept up the spirit of home life there with her husband and children and that was the reason, probably, why people of refinement like to go there. Washington is a microcosm, and one can suit himself with any sort of society within a radius of a mile. To a large portion of the people who frequent Washington, or dwell there, the ultra-fashion, the shoddy, the jobbery, are as utterly distasteful as they would be in a refined New England city. Schoonmaker was not exactly a leader in the house, but he was greatly respected for his fine talents and his honesty. No one would have thought of offering to carry National Improvement Director's relief stock for him. These day receptions were attended by more women than men, and those interested in the problem might have studied the costumes of the ladies present, in view of this fact, to discover whether women dress more for the eyes of women or for effect upon men. It is a very important problem, and has been a good deal discussed, and its solution would form one fixed philosophical basis upon which to estimate woman's character. We are inclined to take a medium ground, and aver that woman dresses to please herself, and in obedience to a law of her own nature. "'They are coming this way,' said Blanche. People who made way for them to pass turned to look at them. Washington began to feel that the eyes of the public were on him also, and his eyes rolled about, now towards the ceiling, now towards the floor, in an effort to look unconscious. 
"'Good morning, Miss Hawkins. Delighted. Mr. Hawkins, my friend, Miss Medlar.' Mr. Hawkins, who was endeavoring to square himself for a bow, put his foot through the train of Mrs. Senator Poplin, who looked round with a scowl, which turned into a smile as she saw who it was. In extricating himself, Mr. Hawkins, who had the care of his hat as well as the introduction on his mind, shambled against Miss Blanche, who said pardon with the prettiest accent, as if the awkwardness were her own, and Mr. Hawkins righted himself. "'Don't you find it very warm to-day, Mr. Hawkins?' said Blanche, by way of a remark. "'It's awfully hot,' said Washington. "'It's warm for the season,' continued Blanche pleasantly. "'But I suppose you are accustomed to it,' she added, with a general idea that the thermometer always stands at ninety degrees in all parts of the late slave states. "'Washington weather generally cannot be very congenial to you.' "'It's congenial,' said Washington, brightening up, "'when it's not congealed.' <laughs> that's very good did you hear grace mr hawkins says it's congenial when it's not congealed what is dear said grace who was talking with laura the conversation was now finally under way washington launched out an observation of his own did you see those japs miss levitt oh yes aren't they queer but so high-bred so picturesque do you think that color makes any difference mr hawkins i used to be so prejudiced against color did you i never was i used to think my old mammy was handsome how interesting your life must have been i should like to hear about it washington was about settling himself into his narrative style when mrs general mcfingal caught his eye have you been at the capitol to-day mr hawkins washington had not is anything uncommon going on they say it was very exciting the alabama business you know general sutler of massachusetts defied england and they say he wants war he wants to make himself conspicuous more like said laura he always you have noticed talks with one eye on the gallery while the other is on the speaker well my husband says it's nonsense to talk of war and wicked he knows what war is if we do have war i hope it will be for the patriots of cuba don't you think we want cuba mr hawkins i think we want it bad said washington and santo domingo senator dilworthy says we are bound to extend our religion over the isles of the sea we've got to round out our territory and washington's further observations were broken off by laura who whisked him off to another part of the room and reminded him that they must make their adieu how stupid and tiresome these people are she said let's go they were turning to say good-bye to the hostess when laura's attention was arrested by the sight of a gentleman who was just speaking to mrs schoenmaker for a second her heart stopped beating he was a handsome man of forty and perhaps more with grayish hair and whiskers and he walked with a cane as if he were slightly lame he might be less than forty for his face was worn into hard lines and he was pale no it could not be she said to herself it is only a resemblance but as the gentleman turned and she saw his full face laura put out her hand and clutched washington's arm to prevent herself from falling washington who was not minding anything as usual looked round in wonder laura's eyes were blazing fire and hatred he had never seen her look so before and her face was livid why what is it sis y your face is as white as paper it's he it's he come come 
as she dragged him away. "'It's who?' asked Washington, when they had gained the carriage. "'It's nobody. It's nothing. Did I say he? I was faint with the heat. Don't mention it. Don't you speak of it,' she added earnestly, grasping his arm. When she had gained her room she went to the glass and saw a pallid and haggard face. "'My God!' she cried. "'This will never do. I should have killed him if I could. The scoundrel still lives and dares to come here. I ought to kill him. He has no right to live. How I hate him! And yet I loved him. Oh, heavens, how I did love that man! And why didn't he kill me? He might better. He did kill all that was good in me. Oh, but he shall not escape. He shall not escape this time. He may have forgotten. He will find that a woman's hate doesn't forget. The law? What would the law do but protect him and make me an outcast? How all Washington would gather up its virtuous skirts and avoid me if it knew. I wonder if he hates me as I do him. So Laura raved, in tears and in rage by turns, tossed in a tumult of passion which she gave way to with little effort to control. A servant came to summon her to dinner. She had a headache. The hour came for the President's reception. She had a raving headache, and the Senator must go without her. That night of agony was like another night, she recalled. How vividly it all came back to her, and at that time she remembered she thought she might be mistaken. He might come back to her. Perhaps he loved her a little, after all. Now she knew he did not. Now she knew he was a cold-blooded scoundrel, without pity. Never a word in all these years. She had hoped he was dead. Did his wife live, she wondered? She caught at that, and it gave a new current to her thoughts. Perhaps, after all, she must see him. She could not live without seeing him. Would he smile as in the old days when she loved him so? Or would he sneer as when she last saw him? If he looked so, she hated him. If he should call her Laura Darling and look so, she must find him. She must end her doubts. Laura kept her room for two days on one excuse and another, a nervous headache, a cold, to the great anxiety of the senator's household. Callers, who went away, said she had been too gay. They did not say fast, though some of them may have thought it. One so conspicuous and successful in society as Laura could not be out of the way two days without remarks being made, and not all of them complimentary. When she came down she appeared as usual, a little pale, maybe, but unchanged in manner. If there were any deepened lines about the eyes they had been concealed, her course of action was quite determined. At breakfast she asked if anyone had heard any unusual noise during the night. Nobody had. Washington never heard any noise of any kind after his eyes were shut. Some people thought he never did when they were open, either. Senator Dilworthy said he had come in late. He was detained in a little consultation after the Congressional prayer-meeting. Perhaps it was his entrance. No, Laura said. She heard that. It was later. She might have been nervous, but she fancied somebody was trying to get into the house. Mr. Brierly humorously suggested that it might be, as none of the members were occupied in night session. The senator frowned, and said he did not like to hear that kind of newspaper slang. There might be burglars about. Laura said that very likely it was only her nervousness, but she thought she would feel safer if Washington would let her take one of his pistols. Washington brought her one of his revolvers, and instructed her in the art of loading and firing it. 
during the morning laura drove down to mrs shoemaker's to pay a friendly call your receptions are always delightful she said to that lady the pleasant people all seem to come here it's pleasant to hear you say so miss hawkins i believe my friends like to come here though society in washington is mixed we have a little of everything i suppose though you don't see much of the old rebel element said laura with a smile if this seemed to mrs shoemaker a singular remark for a lady to make who was meeting rebels in society every day she did not express it in any way but only said you know we don't say rebel any more before we came to washington i thought rebels would look unlike other people i find we are very much alike and that kindness and good nature wear away prejudice and then you know there are all sorts of common interests my husband sometimes says that he doesn't see but confederates are just as eager to get at the treasury as unionists you know that mr shoemaker is on the appropriations does he know many southerners oh yes there were several at my reception the other day among others a confederate colonel a stranger handsome man with gray hair probably you didn't notice him uses a cane in walking a very agreeable man i wondered why he called when my husband came home and looked over the cards he said he had a cotton claim a real southerner perhaps you might know him if i could think of his name yes here's his card louisiana laura took the card looked at it intently till she was sure of the address and then laid it down with no he is no friend of ours that afternoon laura wrote and dispatched the following note it was in a round hand unlike her flowing style and it was directed to a number and street in georgetown a lady at senator dilworthy's would like to see colonel george selby on business connected with the cotton claims can he call wednesday at three o'clock p m on wednesday at three p m no one of the family was likely to be in the house except laura End of chapter thirty eight